Welcome to Be Set Free, the radio outreach of Whitefields Community Church in Longmont, Colorado. Be Set Free features the teaching ministry of Pastor Nick Cady. Pastor Nick's desire is to bring the gospel into our lives so we can experience the joy and freedom that can only be found through Jesus. Today's message comes from our series, Saving Grace, a verse-by-verse study of the book of Romans. Here's Pastor Nick. In the beginning, human beings, from day one, we knew God, we walked with God, and we worshiped God. From day one, that's how we started out, with one God who we knew and who we worshiped. We didn't have to find him or discover him. He wasn't hiding. From the beginning, we knew God and worshiped God, and we knew the true and living God. But we turned away from him. It wasn't that, that we had to find him. It was that we, we, we knew him, and we turned away from him, and we we, worshiped, we decided to worship other things instead of him. And that's what the Bible would say is the true story of world religions. Rather than an evolution of religion where, where uh, the Bible shows us that just the opposite, it's the devolution of religion. In other words, it's us knowing God and then turning away from him and then beginning to worship other things, other things of our own creation, even to the point where we actually start worshiping creation itself, the created things or material things. The book of Exodus tells us a story which, which gives us some insight into our human nature. It tells us a story of the golden calf. Maybe you remember the story. God had brought the people out of Egypt, and they were at the base of Mount Sinai. And what happened is that the people uh, wanted God to, to take them on, and God had stopped at Sinai for several months. And it just felt like, what is happening? Why aren't things moving forward? Why are we just stalled out right here? In other words, they felt that God wasn't giving them what they wanted— which was to go to the promised land, when they wanted it. I mean, he might still do it, but we want it faster. We want it now. In other words, they became impatient. And here's what they said. Well, if the Lord God isn't going to do it for us, well, then we don't need him. We'll make our own God, our own God, who we can manipulate and control, and we can make our God do what we want when we want it. And that, the Bible says, is the true history of religion. It isn't that people uh, don't know who God is. It's that they do know who God is and they don't like him. Because here's why. Because they can't control him. For many of us, isn't that our biggest frustration with God? That there's no way for us to control him. We like to be in control and we can't control him. He's a free-range God. He just does whatever he wants. And for us, sometimes that's really hard for us to accept because we like to be in control, don't we? And we want a God who we can manipulate. We can kind of put the screws to him. We can kind of dictate to him how things should be. We can kind of control how things are gonna go and we can tell him what he's gonna do and when he's gonna do it so we get what we want when we want it. And this... If you really examine it, is the one thing that actually separates biblical religion or, or Christianity from every other religion in the world. You know, people ask, well, you know, Christianity is just like all the other religions, right? I mean, no, there's actually one fundamental difference between Christianity and, and would say biblical religion and all other religions in the world. And, and here's what it is every other religion in the world puts you in the driver's seat. It puts you in the driver's seat. But Christianity says actually just the opposite. In order for you to follow this God, in order for, for you to, to have this God, you actually have to get out of the driver's seat and put him in the driver's seat. You have to let him be in control and not you. Every other religion puts you in the driver's seat. It says, hey, here's these five pillars. Here's these seven ordinances. And if you do these, if you say these prayers and, and keep these rules, and if you do it well enough and often enough, then you can get God to give you what you want when you want it. And when you, go to, uh, when you die, you will go to heaven. In other words, every religion says, do these things and God will, will do this for you. you. You can earn it. You can, you can make it happen. 
But Christianity says something completely different. It says, here's what he has done for you. He did it. You accept it. With the golden calf, the people of Israel showed that it wasn't actually God himself that they wanted. What they really were after was the things that they believed that God could give them. Right? In other words, they didn't want God himself for who he was. They wanted God for what, he, what they thought he could do for them. And what this means, that's what it means when it says here in verse 11, there's no one who seeks God. There might be people who seek blessings from God. There might be people who even seek forgiveness from God. But they're not seeking God for himself. They're only seeking God for what he can do for them. In other words, sin affects our motives. It makes us selfish. And it's worth asking yourself this question. Ask yourself this question honestly and sincerely. Do you primarily view God as useful to you or do you view him as beautiful to you? Do you primarily see God? When you think of God, do you think of him as useful or do you think of him as beautiful? Do you worship him because you consider him useful or do you worship him because you consider him beautiful? That makes all the difference. See, here's the thing. If you're only seeking God because you view him as useful to you, then in your mind, the only reason you need God is to help you get your agenda accomplished. But what if God doesn't do that? What if he doesn't give you what you want when you want it? What if he doesn't do your agenda? What if you want this thing, you have this dream and it doesn't happen? Then what? If God is only useful to you to get what you want, well, then you won't need him anymore. And like so many people, you'll just cast him aside. Like the people with the golden calf, cast him aside and you'll, you'll get something else. You'll make something else up for yourself or find something else that you feel like you can control. You see, that's why it's possible to be religious and not really seek God at all. Because in your religion... It's actually all just about you. But maybe you say, well, okay, wait a second. Now, what about those of us who are here today because we are following Jesus and we are giving God lordship over our lives? Ah, well, that's where it gets really interesting. Here's what the Bible tells us. It says that because of sin, no one seeks God, truly, honestly. But here's the thing. God is seeking us. That is the good news of the gospel. Not that we seek God and we find him, but that he seeks us and he finds us and he, he takes us in, from rebels and, and makes us children, sons and daughters and friends. And what that means is this, that anyone who is truly seeking God has been sought by God. Anyone who's truly seeking God has been sought by God. Jesus said this, no one can come to me unless my father who sent me draws him. In other words, it isn't that God is hiding but, and that we are seeking. Just the opposite, in our fallen nature, we are hiding. We, our natural tendency is to hide, but the good news of the gospel is that God is seeking you. And if you say, well, hey, that's cool. I mean, I'd really like to be found. Well, great, you can be. You just turn and you face the God who has been seeking you and pursuing you all the days of your life and you stop running from him and you embrace him. You see, no one, understand, or no one truly seeks God, not truly, not really, but the good news of the gospel is that God is seeking us. In other words, it's not that we need to find God, it's that God finds us and, and takes us from being rebels and enemies and makes us into sons and daughters and friends. But again, I'm getting ahead of myself, so let's continue. Number four, sin affects our will. Verse 12, it says that all have turned aside. Together they become worthless. No one does good, not even one. In other words, there is a willfulness in our wandering. In our wandering, there is a willfulness. There is a thought-outness. Our will is corrupted. We are determined to choose our own path and go our own way. Now, again, we have a phrase here that, that some people might say, well, wait a second, I don't know about this, right? It says, no one does good, 
really? Like, how can you say that? I mean, honestly, aren't there a lot of good people out there who do a lot of good things, charitable things, make the world a better place, even though they're not Christians? And the answer to that is, yes, there are. Of course there are. Then what do you mean here that it says that there's no one who does good? Again, remember, this is speaking of our human nature, and it's speaking of goodness in the sense of goodness that justifies us before God. But here's the other part of this. It says this, it isn't that people never do good things, but it's that even when we do good things, our motives are tainted. Our motives are tainted. We do good things to justify ourselves or to glorify ourselves. So at the end of the day, those things aren't really truly good. They're not truly pure because of sin. Our, even our motives are not truly honest and pure. Even our good deeds are tainted. Number five, sin affects our actions. He, he says in verse 13, he talks about our words. In other words, the words that we say and the things that we do are corrupted by sin. Sin, number six, affects our relationships. Verses 15 through 17 talks about how human relationships are broken up because of sin. And notice in this section, starting in verse 13, it says their throat is an open grave, their tongues. It talks about different parts of the body. Notice it says the throat, the tongue. Then it says the venom of asps is under their lips. Their mouth is full of curses and bitterness. Their feet so he's talking about different parts of the body. And then he talks finally about the eyes. He talks about the mind, the feet, the lips, the mouth. In other words, he's saying all these different parts of our bodies. In other words, here's the point. From head to toe, inside and outside, there is no part of you that has not been affected by sin. Sin separates us from other people. It ruins our relationships. It destroys human relationships. And finally, number seven, sin affects our relationship with God. It says there's no fear of God before their eyes. Most devastating of all, sin ruins our relationship with God. We do not fear God as we should. We do not revere him or honor him as we ought to. And as a result of our attitudes and our actions, we are cut off from God. And the result of all of this, verse 19, he says the, pur he says the, the purpose of all this, the purpose of the law, which shows us God's perfect standard, he says this, is so that every mouth may be stopped and the whole world held accountable to God. In other words, the point of all this is to leave us to the point where we can no longer say, yeah, but, yeah, but, no, there's no more yeah, buts left. This is it. There's no more, the, every mouth is stopped. There's nothing we can say. There's nothing we can do. We realize we are completely without excuse and we are accountable to God. And he says in verse 20, no one can be justified before God by keeping rules, by earning, you can't earn forgiveness, the purpose of the law is to show us that we have fallen short of God's perfect standard. And the situation is absolutely hopeless. And you say, well, what can I do about it? And the answer is you can do, there's nothing you can do about it. Absolutely nothing you can do to fix yourself. There's absolutely nothing you can do to fix this problem for yourself. You've been listening to a message by Pastor Nick Cady of Whitefields Community Church in Longmont, Colorado. We'll get back to the remainder of this message in a moment. We are open for in-person worship on Sunday mornings with services at 9.15 and 11 a.m. Come grow with us on Sunday mornings, online or in person at 9.15 and 11 a.m. If you have missed any part of this message or past messages, you can find them all at besetfreeradio.com. Now, back to Pastor Nick with the remainder of today's message. But take a look at the next verse, and you'll see two of the most beautiful words that have ever been written. Verse 21 begins with these words. But now, but now, 
If you like to write in your Bible and you circle that, you underline it, you highlight it, there's no amount of highlighter or ink that will be enough. Those are the two most amazing, most wonderful, most glorious transitional words that could possibly be imagined. All of this, it's hopeless, but now, but now, you're sick, you're hopeless, you're guilty, you're condemned, but now, something else. So I I do counseling sometimes, right, as a pastor, but I know other people who are professional counselors, full-time counselors, and what they've told me is that, hey, when you counsel a couple, here's what you need to do, and I I guess I'm giving away a trade secret, so don't use this against any counselors, okay? But here's the one thing that they'll say. The one thing you need to listen for is the word but, because they'll they'll talk, and, and you just listen, but when they say the word but, that's when you pay attention. Because when they say the word but, That's when you start listening because it means that whatever came before that uh, is going to be totally negated by whatever comes after that, right? Whatever they said until that point, after they say the word but, whatever comes after that is going to be totally negating everything that came before it. And so here we have this word but. Everything that came before is going to be different now because of what comes next. And that is this, the cure that changes everything. Verse 21, but now the righteousness from God has been manifested apart from the law. Although the law and the prophets bear witness to it, the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. This changes everything. Our biggest problem, the the reason we deserve the, the wrath of God and the judgment of God is because we lack righteousness. In other words, we are unrighteous. And there is no way for us to fix that problem and make ourselves righteous. In other words, it would take an act of God to fix that problem. And that's exactly what we have here. The message of the gospel is that God gives us his righteousness, his perfect record as a gift, which we receive by faith. We didn't earn it. We can't deserve it. We can't work for it. We just receive it and we say, thank you. It's a gift. And you might wonder, why would God do that? Why would anyone do that? And here's the answer. Because he loves you. That's why. He loves you. Verse 23, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. That's what we've been talking about for the last three chapters. That's why we need the gospel. Verse 24, and we are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a propitiation by his blood to be received by faith. In order to understand this passage, just a lot of big words in there, a lot of theological words, we gotta, we gotta just take a second and define what some of these terms mean. So let's do that. Four words that need definitions. Number one, sin. Sin is an archery term, even in English, and it very well translates the, the Greek word for sin. And here's what it means. It means to miss the mark. If you've ever done archery, a perfect score would mean that you hit the bullseye every single time. If you miss the bullseye, you've missed the mark. And the Greek word for sin is the word amartia. Ah, whenever anything begins with ah in Greek, it means that it's totally negating whatever comes next. And so martia means unity. So it means without unity. In other words, when you miss the mark, you are without unity. You're not what you should be. As a result, you lack unity within yourself. And even worse, you lack unity with God, which is the very standard of perfection. Second word, propitiation. Propitiation isn't a word that we use in our everyday language, is it? Like you never say, oh, I had to work late at work this week because my boss wanted me to get some propitiation done, right? Or you might say, hey, I'm going to the store. You want me to pick you up some propitiation, right? Like this isn't a word that we use. So what does it even mean? It's a religious word. It's a religious word, which is not just unique to Christianity. It's, it's used in other religions. And the idea is that it means to appease a God, appease a deity, usually by means of a sacrifice. In other words, it carries with it the idea that God is upset, even angry. Now we tend, especially in our culture, to really not like that idea. 
to not like the idea of an angry God. You see that God, but here's the thing. God sees everything that's happening in the world. And the point of this is that he's not emotionally detached. He's not just cold and, and calculated, but he is emotionally invested. Let me ask you this. Have you ever seen something, a terrible act of injustice, and it made you angry? I was thinking of a time as I was thinking about this when I saw two kids, you know, bullying another kid. And how does that make me feel? It doesn't just make me feel sad. It makes me feel upset. It makes me feel angry. Well, why would they do that? Why would they be so cruel? I, I've experienced it many times. You see a strong person hurting a weak person, a bully or a powerful person, mistreating a vulnerable person. And you see these things and they don't just break your heart, but they actually make you upset. This is not right. It's not okay. And it makes you angry. Now try to imagine things from God's perspective, that he sees everything, right? He hears everything. He knows every thought, right? He sees all the injustice in the world. He sees every bully. He sees every abuser in the world. He hears all the mean things that people say about each other behind their backs, people hurting each other, people whom he loves. They're hurting the people he loves and created. And it makes him understandably not just sad, but sometimes angry. It's not a mean anger. It's not a bad anger. It's a right and appropriate response of indignation. And here's what this is saying, that God in Christ came to us, he became one of us, and he cast his burning hot anger upon himself. He did it on the cross. Jesus absorbed the wrath of God. The suffering of the cross was much more than just the physical pain of having his hands and feet pierced through with spikes for a couple hours. It was more than just the agony of suffocating on the cross. It was the agony of suffering the wrath of God because of our sins. And the next word is justification. Justification is a legal term, and it means to be made right. Picture the scene, a 17-year-old boy in a, in a rural community gets caught for reckless driving, gets pulled over and arrested for reckless driving and endangering people's lives. And he's brought into court and he's relieved when he looks up on the dock and he sees that his father is the judge. It's a small community. You know, everybody plays multiple roles and wears multiple hats. And so his father is the judge presiding over his case and he feels relieved. But after reviewing the case, the judge gives his decision. He says, Young man, your reckless driving has endangered the lives of people in our community and consequently justice must be served. And so the, the, here's the consequence. You are gonna need to either pay $10,000 in fines or you are going to have to go to jail for a year. And the young man says, but dad, dad, how can you do that to me? You know I don't have any money at all. How can, I'll never be able to pay that fine. But his dad says, young man, in this court, you will refer to me as your honor. And he slams down his gavel and the boy just stands there speechless. And the bailiff approaches, ready to take him off to jail. When the judge stands up, walks down the stairs, comes around the bench, stands next to his son and pulls out his checkbook and writes a check for the full amount. You see, that's what we're talking about. We talk about justification. Look at verse 25. It says that as God did this, he did this so that he could be both just and the justifier of those who have faith in Jesus. See, this is the issue. If God is just and fair, if that's his nature, and then that means that every sin has to be punished. And so if God forgives our sins and, and treats them if they never happened, well then how is that fair? It's not. He has to judge sin. In order for God to be true to his character and not compromise his character, he must judge sin. So the question is, how can God forgive us yet without compromising his character? And here's the answer, the message of the gospel. In Jesus, God is the just one and the justifier of those who receive it by faith. Jesus took the judgment that you deserve, that I deserved, 
so that God could show us mercy and grace and forgive us without compromising his justice, his holiness, his character. In verse 25, another interesting thing, it says that in in former times, God passed over people's sins in his divine forbearance. In other words, if you think back to the Old Testament, the sacrificial system, people like Abraham, Moses, King David, people who lived during that period before Jesus lived and died and resurrected, how could they be saved? And here's what it says, that God essentially deferred the payments for their sins. He deferred the payments. The sacrificial sin was a way of covering it up and deferring payment for a later time until Jesus could come and he paid the price once and for all, for all sin, past, present, and future for those who receive his gift of grace. The last word is the word redemption. It's a slavery term, actually. In the Roman Empire, there were millions of slaves and they would be bought and sold like property in the marketplace. In order to redeem a slave, what you could do is You could go and you could purchase someone. You pay the price for them in the market. And then once you owned that person, you could say, okay, I grant you your freedom. You're free. But who would do something like that? Who would spend a fortune just to set someone free? And this is a picture of what we have that has been done for us in Christ. That we are under sin, that we are slaves to sin, but God has purchased us by the shed blood of Jesus in order to set you free. That's something you could never do for yourself. That's why it says in verse 27, where then is boasting? It is, it is excluded. See, when it comes to Jesus, what he's done for us, we can't take credit for it. We can't brag about it. What would you boast about? I mean, I think about that vending machine thing. I just can't get it out of my mind. Think about it. If you got trapped under a vending machine and somebody came along and saved you, you wouldn't have a lot to brag about, right? The only thing that you could say, well, yeah, I got myself stuck under a vending machine, right? That's the only thing that you contributed to the whole situation. And that's the same thing here. This salvation that Jesus gives us, verse 28, it reminds us it's not something we earn. It's something that Jesus did for us and he gives it to us freely, undeservedly, a gift that we receive by faith. And he says in verse 29 and 30, for this reason, no matter who you are, everyone is saved in the same way. In other words, it's not that Jews are saved in in one way and Christians are saved in a different way. Do you know that some people actually believe that? It has a name, it's called dual covenant theology and it's totally whack, like it's totally wrong, okay? Look at this verse, there's only one way to be saved is through Jesus because of what he did on the cross and we receive that salvation by faith. Verse 31, he says, do we get rid of the law because we have faith now? He says, no way. We uphold the law. We're gonna talk about that next week. We're gonna talk about what that means as we look at Abraham and we see what the purpose of the law was and always is. But today I wanna leave you with this. To be justified means to be right with God. And here's what's what's so amazing about it. It means that once you've been justified, God looks at you and he doesn't just see you as if you've never sinned. He actually does something more than that. This is what's amazing. When God justifies you, he doesn't just forgive your sins. He goes one step further, one giant step further. He doesn't just forgive your debt. He actually gives you a credit on your account. He gives you his righteousness in your account as a credit. And because of that, if you've been justified in Christ, then when God looks at you, he no longer just doesn't see any reason to be upset with you. In fact, he sees so many things that he delights in, that he rejoices over. If you've been justified, then when God looks at you, not only is he not upset, he's actually pleased. It goes from being a negative, not just a neutral, to a positive. He's actually pleased. He looks on you and says, my beloved child in whom I'm well pleased, in you he is satisfied if you have been justified in Christ. 
How do you get that? How do you get that justification? You get it by faith, by trusting in, by clinging to Jesus Christ and what he did for you on the cross. It means no longer looking to yourself, no longer looking at yourself, no longer trusting in yourself, but looking to him and trusting in what he did for you. And I wanna encourage you to do that today, to look to him, to trust in him, and receive that gift of his grace today. It's the good news that changes everything. Lord, we thank you for this gift of your grace. Lord, thank you for this promise that you give us, Lord, that because of what you've done for us, we can have a brand new start. Everything can change. Lord, I pray for everybody here today. If there's anybody who says, you know what, I want that, and I don't know if I've ever had it. I don't know if I've really gotten to that point of receiving what Jesus did for me. Lord, may today be the day that they do that before they leave. And Lord, I pray for those of us who have done it many times and said, yes, Jesus, I do trust in you. I am seeking you because you first sought me. Lord, thank you for that fact that you sought us. But Lord, we also pray that today would be a day of renewal in which we put our faith in the gospel once again. We pray that in Jesus' name. You've been listening to Be Set Free, the radio outreach of Whitefields Community Church in Longmont, Colorado. We have two in-person services on Sunday mornings at 9.15 and 11 a.m. And both services are live streamed on our website for those who would like to worship with us online. We are located just east of County Line Road and Highway 119 at 2950 Colorful Avenue in Longmont. For more information or to hear other messages from Pastor Nick, visit us online at whitefieldschurch.com. Be Set Free is a listener-supported program. If you have been blessed by this message and would like to support this ministry, you can send a donation via check to 2950 Colorful Avenue, Longmont, Colorado, 80504, or donate online at besetfreeradio.com. If you would like to support Be Set Free Radio or the ministry of Whitefields Church in Longmont with a donation, you can send a check to 2950 Colorful Avenue, Longmont, Colorado, 80504, or give a financial gift online at whitefieldschurch.com.